Welcome to The Social Workers radio talk show on WCDB Albany 90.9 FM with co-hosts Dr. Eric Hardiman and Alyssa Lopmore. Here at The Social Workers, we address issues important to our communities with social work students, alumni, and community partners as our guests. As part of the University at Albany School of Social Welfare, we hope to take social work beyond the classroom and agency settings and directly to the public because the public is the client. Catch us on air, online, and anytime. So you're listening to The Social Workers here on WCDB Albany. I'm Eric Hardiman here with Alyssa Lotmore. Hey, Alyssa. Hey, Eric. One of the things that I love about our show is bringing our alums on. And what's interesting is sometimes when we have, you know, we both work with our students and so many students sometimes just have this view that they're just going to be either micro or macro. They're going to be working in a clinic solving you know, or not solving, but working with clients directly, or they're going to go the research route and maybe just teach or maybe come up with, you know, study pedagogies and all of these other types of social work aspects for research. But today's guest is a little different. Uh, We have with us today, Kathleen Earl Fox, who is an author of a new book titled An Early History of the Wyoming Valley, The Yankee Penamite Wars and Timothy Pickering. So it's about history, but it also ties in that social work background. We have such a great conversation with Dr. Earl and hearing about her book, but also hearing about the relationship uh, between her own personal history, learning about her own genealogy, how that factored into her social work career, her research career, uh, and then her work as a historian, as a new, you know, she probably wouldn't define herself as an historian, but she's written a history book. And, uh, you know, it's really sort of that blending of different things, you know, of, of state history here in New York and Pennsylvania, but also histories of uh, stories and populations that are not always well uh, documented and amplified. And, and it's just such a fascinating story with many, many different threads, all of which relate to social work in some way. And also the fact, which you'll hear in the interview um, as you listen, that she has a special relationship to the University of Albany and to, uh, you know, to, to our mascot. Yes. I have been waiting for Kathleen to come on. I first met with her or spoke with her in January mm. and her book just was published in April. So we wanted to have this episode recorded after the book was officially out. So people weren't waiting with anticipation uh, after they heard the interview. So I'm thrilled that she has came on our episode today and shared her story. And like I said, you gave a little teaser about you know, what the episode is going to cover and that connection to you, Albany. So I say, let's just get started with the interview. Let's do it. This is a great conversation with Dr. Kathleen Earle, and we'll hear about her book and her career in social work and her relationship to the University of Albany. So let's, uh, let's get right to it, Alyssa. And welcome to WCDB Albany. My name is Eric Hardiman, and I'm here with Alyssa Lotmore. We're back as the social workers. Welcome back, Alyssa. 
Hey, Eric, I am extremely excited for our guest today, not just because it is a social work alum, but as many people know, I was a student athlete here at UAlbany during, during my time as an undergrad, and I was a huge fan of Damien, our great Dane. So there is a little connection with our guest and that as well. Can't wait to hear about that and explore that for our listeners. Uh, I'm also really excited about this interview. We love talking to alumni on this show. And if you're tuning in for the first time, The Social Workers is a live radio talk show and podcast where we interview folks all around the country, all around the world about social work and social work related issues. We also interview alumni of the University at Albany and particularly of the School of Social Welfare at the University at Albany. And that's that's who we have with us today. So we have with us as a very special guest with us today, uh, Dr. Kathleen Earle. Kathleen Earle is a native New Yorker whose ancestral roots go back to Pennsylvania. She's an author, artist, former professor and former director of research at the National Indian Child Welfare Association in Portland, Oregon. She attended Cornell University and the Rockefeller College here at the University at Albany, where she received a PhD in 1996. She has written and illustrated several award-winning children's books, a book of essays, and many peer-reviewed articles in the areas of mental health and child abuse. She currently lives in Maine with her husband, Stan Fox. Kathleen, thanks for joining us today and welcome to The Social Workers. Thanks. I'm really glad to be here. I love the School of Social Work. I've got two degrees there, my MSW and my PhD. That's great to hear. You know, as we get into the conversation, we want to hear more about that and sort of how you got interested in social work and what your journey was like and how you found the social work profession, because that's something that always intrigues us. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we'll start off with that. I mean, as you are an alum, Let's start off with those types of questions. How did you get involved with social work and decide to come to the university at Albany? Well, I was at Cornell University. I started there with a major in journalism. And after two full years, my grandmother was ill and I took a semester off. And I think I went up to Albany to hear a Peter, Paul and Mary concert. (laughs) And I I really liked Albany. And, um, And I had gone to Cornell because I followed my boyfriend there and we'd broken up. So I, so I transferred <laughs> and, um, and I loved it. I figured it was a perfect fit. So right. I, I graduated planning to become a teacher. And then I went down the Virgin islands to be a teacher. And um, a friend of mine who was from the Virgin islands got a job as a social worker working in child abuse and neglect. And she was really happy. She loved it. And so I became a social worker and I discovered I had the same kids that I had had in my classes, only now I could help them. So um, I was married and I I was pregnant with my first child. And so we came back back to the U.S. and I decided, well, if I'm going to be a social worker, I have to get an MSW. Mm. So I applied to Albany and um, got in and I took five years to get my MSW. And during that time, I worked as a social worker in Wasaic developmental program down in Wasaic, New York and um, various other jobs. And then I, uh, when I graduated, I started working for the university and um, worked there doing research again in the field of child abuse and neglect. And then went to the office of mental health because I couldn't make enough money 
with the project I was on. I was living, by then I was divorced, living with my son. Mm. And so um, I went to work for the Office of Mental Health. And I worked there for 14 years. But during that time, I got really bored. I had two more kids, got remarried. And um, I decided, I went to a going away party for one of my professors, MSW professors, Don Cohen. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Don, knew Don Cohen, but he was quite a guy, really <laughs> interesting and became a good friend. And he was having a going away party. So I went and um, somebody said to me, you were really good in research. Why don't you apply to the new PhD program? So I did. And I went to my bosses at the Office of Mental Health and said, can I take time off? And they said, sure, you know, you can go during working hours. And so I, I Zoomed, I was also a researcher. Mm. So I Zoomed through my dissertation and my, my classes. I graduated in three years, which I might still hold the record. I don't know. <laughs> you very well may. That's quick. That's pretty yeah. quick, yeah. Uh, Impressive. Yep. yep. But back to the Great Danes, um, when I transferred to Albany, there was a contest named the mascot. That was in 1965, and I won $25 for naming wow. a mascot. Yeah. Oh, $25. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. No, it's... How did you come up with that name? The, the da Damien is the name of the... Uh, well, no, she came up with the actual Great Dane as oh, our yeah, mascot. Yeah, the actual Great, Great Dane. Dane. Right. Wow. Okay. I didn't right. understand. Yeah. Well, I, I just, you know, I saw the contest, and I could use $25, so I... <laughs> started researching what other universities do. And I wrote an article um, in UAlbany magazine, fall 2007. And um, people weren't happy when I came up with the name Great Dane and the, the Albany student press sports editor wrote an editorial and he said, um, she claimed the dog was quote, typically American bred for size, weight, strength, character, courage, speed, and stamina. If it were running for office in the ASPCA, the animal would win in a landslide. <laughs> so, but eventually, after I wrote the article in 2007, he wrote into the magazine and said, actually, I was pretty happy with it. So, well, Damien has our Great Dane has lasted all of these years. I have yeah. countless uh, t shirts and bags and pretty much mugs, everything, you name it with our great That's Dane awesome. logo. So that is when you first emailed about your book and you're like, oh, PS, I also, you know, named, you know, <laughs> yeah. the mascot, the great Dane. Right. I was like, I have to talk to you. Yeah, you, you are I was so interested. Yeah. You have a special place in the history of the University at Albany and, and will forever be tied to it for that reason alone, you know, if not wow. all your other accomplishments. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. I, I, uh, I've got a few shirts myself, I have to admit. <laughs> I haven't been to any games because I live in Maine, but I keep intending yeah. to go and they keep sending me the schedule. I just haven't gotten around to it. You should, you should absolutely come back and visit, yeah. yeah or been. there's game, I think Maine's in our conference, so I, I oh. think they still are, unless they left. But if wow. we're ever up in Maine, maybe we'll oh, definitely have to send good. you the schedule for that. Oh, that's great. I would love to get that. And so I how, do give so, money every year to the Great Danes. So great. Yeah. Thank well, you thank so you much for, for your support. Yeah. So so I'm so curious. So you got your PhD then, and then how did the, how did you um, sort of get into history and writing about history from there? Maybe carry us through, you know, the 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 rest of your career from getting the PhD onwards. 
Well, when I got the PhD, my husband and I had a summer house in Maine mm -hmm. and we planned to retire there, but I started applying for jobs up in Maine and I got a job teaching social work at the University of Southern Maine. And so we moved up here in uh, 1995. Actually, I got my degree in 96, but we, I looked like I was going to get it. And um, so I taught there for four years and then I, I started going to conferences with the National Indian Child Welfare Association and they offered me a big grant. Mm. But the school of social work up there wanted me to teach. So I switched over to the research foundation at the University of Southern Maine and worked on the grant for two years. Then um, unfortunately I, I got breast cancer and I was commuting two hours each way. And once I was on the research foundation, I had to go every day. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot. So I resigned and I started being an adjunct professor near my home at the University of Augusta, the Rockland College. And I did that for several years and I basically started painting. I'd always been an artist. So <laughs> throughout my life, I painted and sold art. So I, I just kept painting. But I was also doing genealogy and, you know, social workers are interesting people. They're not all, you know, just social workers. They do a lot of stuff. Yeah. I know a lot of social workers who are artists, actually. I have a girlfriend, Betsy Cousia, who graduated with me, who teaches motorcycle racing and driving. And <laughs> I hope she's listening in. She said she might. But she was the star of our MSW program. Wow. Yeah. But anyway, See, social um, workers wear many hats. I love it. That's the one thing I love about social work. You never they, know what else they do. Yeah. That's right. It's really true. And I never liked history, never interested in history, avoided <laughs> history classes. And then, <laughs> but I was doing genealogy. And what happened is I was researching my, my own line. John Earl was my ancestor who was born in Geneva in 1795. And I couldn't find anything before 1795. And I started looking in 1976, really, I had started this journey looking for, for ancestors of mm. the Earls. And somewhere along the line, someone told me that um, his father had been abducted by Indians, by the Iroquois specifically, or Haudenosaunee, and raised by them. And then as an adult, left the tribe and went to Michigan and married a white woman. So I started asking around if someone was abducted in the 1770s, where would they be from? And they said, oh, the Wyoming Valley. Huh. So I contacted the Wyoming Valley of Pennsylvania in 2015, it took me that long or 16 around then and said, I'm trying to find my Earl ancestors. Do you have any Earls? And she said, well, quick look in my files. I found the kidnappers. So I said, oh, okay. <laughs> Benjamin Daniel and Solomon Earl, who kidnapped Timothy Pickering in 1788, along with 15, four, uh, well, there were a total of 15 young men who kidnapped Timothy Pickering. So I said, I'll be right down. So I started. Yeah, that's, that's something I would be like, oh, I'll, I'll come right <laughs> down right now. I'll find out yeah. more about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I went down there, and what I found was the Yankee Pennamite War, which nobody knew anything about that I've spoken to. And that these young men were put up to kidnapping Timothy Pickering because their leader had been put in jail by Timothy Pickering and they wanted to trade. And they were basically 
just ordinary young men, but the Yankee-Pennamite War was caused by King Charles II giving the same piece of land to Pennsylvania and Connecticut. Hmm. So when the Connecticut people started moving there, the land actually was used by the Haudenosaunee at the time as a hunting ground, and they let the Delaware Indians live there. And so, and I'm sorry for using the word Indian. Among, I'm used to working for the National Indian Child Welfare Association, mm. and among among people who are associated with that group, the Indian is the term we use. Okay. But I'm well aware that the native is correct, and uh, less than Native American, by the way. But the best way to address Native people is by using the name of the tribe. Just okay for anyone out there who wants to know that. But anyway, um, so I, I started researching this and it was such a good story that I um, decided to write a book about it. So that's how I became an historian. So it sounds like following your, your family history and your genealogy research, you then found out about the Haudenosaunee and found out about this, uh, you know, this sort of chapter of history, if you will, that, that is, hasn't been um, publicized all that much. And so, so it's a fascinating discovery. And, and it sounds like you went deep in your, in your research and exploration of that topic. Right. Well, I had found out when I was in the PhD program about my possible Haudenosaunee connection. But of course, you can't be uh, Haudenosaunee for real unless you're enrolled. Mm. And enrollment depends on blood quantum and matrilineal descent. And my blood was through my father's family anyway. But, um, but anyway, that's right. That's how I discovered it. But I had went during the PhD program, my dissertation was on the Haudenosaunee and it was reprinted in social work research magazine. It's called a uh, cultural, let's see, cultural, Diversity and Mental Health. And it was published in Social Work Research Magazine in June of 1998. Wow. So you've yeah. always had that bit of a connection to history, even when you're doing your dissertation. And your book, I don't believe, is like other history books, uh, particularly you focus a little bit about uh, on people and their motivations. So can you get a, talk mm. a little bit more about how your book is a little different for people who might not be as into history type of the genre. How does your book tie in that social work? Exactly. Um, I've been doing speeches up in upstate New York about this and uh, that always comes up because it's not like a normal history book. And the reason is that social workers are interested in people. Historians are interested in dates and places and then people. I think social workers are most interested in people. Yeah. And I was interested in the motivation of the people in the Yankee-Pennamite Wars. They, they role modeled the Haudenosaunee, interestingly, when they attacked each other, they started attacking each other and the Haudenosaunee were the most powerful people they knew. And so they, they put feathers in their hair and they put black face on and they did war whoops and they, they really tried to be as tough as they could be using the model of the Haudenosaunee, which was really interesting. But I, I also included a lot of interesting anecdotes in my book. For example, I can read you one about one of my ancestors, Benjamin Earl. He was um, within days of the kidnapping, there was a knock on the door of Benjamin Earl's cabin. His new wife, 
a buxom lass who was twice his size, stuck her panicked spouse in the feather bed, where he sank to the bottom and placed her considerable self on top of him, so that it appeared only one person was in the bed. She then said to Constable Westover, come in, who's there? Westover, come Earl, you are my prisoner, and entered the room with a light. For shame, Mr. Westover, said Mrs. Earl. I am here a lone woman to be so encroached upon. But where is Ben? You know he was expecting the writ and needn't think he was such a fool as to be home. He has more than wit than that, I hope. Satisfied the lady was alone, Westover retired. <laughs> and I have a, I try to have amusing anecdotes in there, although it was a, a nasty, bloody um, war. Mm-hmm. There were interesting points and, you know, Nothing is black and white. There were, even during the war, people who were friends on either side with each other and with the Haudenosaunee and with the Delaware. But this this whole war started in 1760s and went on until Pickering was kidnapped, really. And then that kind of went, was like the last blow. It's fascinating. How, so how has, when, when did the book, when was the book published? This year, April, just came okay. out. Okay, so it's just come out. And, and have you, um, do you have a sense of, of sort of the reception so far? I know that's, that's you know, recent, but, um, you know, have you, have you had folks read it and, and sort of what types of response are you getting? People are really interested in it. Um, I did three lectures, you know, PowerPoint presentations in upstate New York last week in Geneva, Canandaigua, and Penyan. And I found out, which I never knew, that Penn Yan is for Pennsylvania Yankees, which you know, I right didn't realize that. I didn't either. And it wasn't just the Earls that escaped. They, after the kidnapping, they escaped prosecution by moving to upstate New York, which is how John Earl was born there. Uh, but anyway, and I think that my the John who was abducted by Indians was the brother of the kidnappers, as far as I can tell. But I have no proof. Sure. So, but anyway, um, the reception has been very good. Um, in upstate New York, they're still wearing masks and uh, keeping distance. So they had a lot of people zoom in. In Canandaigua, they had 26 people zooming in to the lecture. So, yeah. um, and they, they were extremely enthusiastic and they all bought books, which will make the publisher happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And your book is titled An Early History of the Wyoming Valley, correct? That's right. Yes. An early history of the Wyoming Valley. And then it has the Yankee Pennamite Wars and Timothy Pickering. I wanted to name it Pennsylvania Yankees, but I was overruled by the publisher. But it's basically about the, they called themselves Yankees, the Connecticut people. And then the Pennamites were Pennsylvania people. So, but this went through um, the Wyoming massacre, the American revolution, Sullivan's March, and continued past that for another 20 years. And they still kept trying to kill each other, basically, or destroy their houses and kill their cattle, chase off their pigs, whatever they were doing. So and what, it's a fascinating story. And what do you want readers to take away from this book? As you, you put this story, it has a, a tie to your own history. What would you like people who are reading it to take away from, you know, reading this, your, your, your publication? Well, basically, uh, that the world is not black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no black and white. It's gray. And basically, the reason, one of the main reasons I wrote is because history always leaves out Native people. 
you know, when you hear about the revolution, you think the British and the Americans were, you know, rows of soldiers facing each mm -hmm. other. And that's not true. The Haudenosaunee were heavily involved, mostly on the British side, because the, the, um, the British had kind of wooed the Haudenosaunee, seeing them as very strong allies, which they were to the, to the point that Joseph Brandt, who was a famous Mohawk, mm. who um, was sent to a school, a British school as a child, bought into the whole British thing so much that he became a Mason. And at the Cherry Valley Massacre, which he was involved in, um, one of the prisoners inadvertently gave the Mason sign and Joseph Brandt told the guy who was about to kill this guy not to do it. And then later he talked to the guy that was almost killed about Masons. And the guy said, I don't know what you're talking about because he had no idea. Brandt let him live. But then the guy, as soon as he was released, joined the Masons. So, you know, it's not easy. Joseph Brandt was, was Mohawk, but he had some British characteristics. Some of the, the settlers took on native characteristics. They were friends. After the Battle of Wyoming, which is badly misquoted, by the way, the Battle of Wyoming was not a massacre by the Haudenosaunee. There are stories of a Seneca woman called Queen Esther who lined people up on a rock and smashed their heads. Hmm. And that is not true according to the Iroquois and the Haudenosaunee Iroquois, or according to the historians since then who, who wrote about the Haudenosaunee. And there were many anecdotes like that that were not true. And, um, but I wanted to write about the Haudenosaunee and show that they were very important and had a huge role. It's almost like they didn't exist during the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. Nobody talks about it. And they were, the Oneida and the Tuscarora were on the American side, which kind of you know, split up the, uh, the Confederacy. But they did, they did help out. And um, so it's, it's interesting to see what really happened and to put it in writing so that people will know. Not that my book will be that widely read, but it's a beginning. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's well, you're a... celebrating this group and that is, you're right. bringing more awareness and that ties into social work in a way. That's what social workers are doing. They're raising awareness. They're being able to tell stories and have amplify voices. And that's what your book is doing. You're, you're celebrating a group that has been ignored in American history. You're helping people to find out more about it. And where can listeners find out more information about this topic? And even your book, if people want to know more, they're listening to this and saying like, how do I find out more? Where can I find this book? What, what are some resources and where can they find your book? Yeah. Well, the book is published by the History Press, and uh, the website is www.arcadiapublishing.com, but it's all over the place. Right. Everyone I know has bought it on Amazon, which, you know, we don't get any money from that, but that's okay. I just want the word out there. And um, it's also in Barnes & Noble, and supposedly it's in Target and hmm. everywhere. The publisher, this History Press is is widely, widely uh, published. They have many, many, many titles. You can go to the History Press website and look up any state or any town and they'll, they have books about it. Interesting. But the other thing that I wanted to, to mention about the Haudenosaunee is that um, they're still a role model for us. I mean, they say that 
Benjamin Franklin used the Confederacy as a model to create the United States. You've probably heard that, but there's still a role model for us. And I can read you a quote, um, which was written in the 1700s. It's, uh, we are born free and united brothers, each as much a great Lord as the other. Well, you are all the slaves of one soul man. I am the master of my body, which of course is very relevant right now. I dispose of myself. I do what I wish. I am the first and the last of my nation, subject only to the great spirit. Hmm. So, I mean, I, I have spent a lot of time with the Haudenosaunee. I, I did a research grant with the Mohawk in 2012 with money from the Office of Mental Health Research Foundation in which I was um, trying to find out why the Haudenosaunee didn't go to the mental health clinic run by the state of New York. And I lived with a, a woman who was a clan mother and the clan mothers run the, the Haudenosaunee. And it was, it was wonderful. It was peaceful. It was fun. Everyone was, was free. It was like a very tight knit community. It was a tight knit yeah. community so that they had drag races, which are fun. <laughs> and my hosts, uh, my hostess's son was a drag racer. So we would go every Friday night and watch the drag races and her little grandkids would line up on either side of us on the bleachers. And an example of what it's like there for kids is a little, a little guy came toddling over to her and asked her for money for soda. And she gave him a dollar and he went toddling off in the darkness, which would never happen almost anywhere else, mm -hmm. perhaps in other native communities. And then he came back with a soda and um, you know, everybody watches out for the kids. They take care of each other. It's and every night she would put a huge pot of food on for the three of us, myself and her and her husband, and people would just wander in and eat what they wanted and leave when they wanted. And it was it was really, um, really wonderful. And I've I've noticed the same kind of attitude as I've traveled across the United States when I was director of research for NICWA, National Indian Child Welfare Association. That I was, I was wondering if you were connected with with that organization as you were talking about your work. Yeah, I was director of research there. Um, I resigned in 2011, and then I happened to get this grant for the Office of Mental Health in 2012. But um, but I, I went to many, many conferences. I've written many, many peer-reviewed papers on Native people across the U.S. And I've found them to be, nobody asks me if I'm Indian or white. They don't care. Mm -hmm. And I actually had an opportunity to talk to a, an elder who was on the board of NICWA. At the beginning of one of the conferences, the director of NICWA said, this, this elder is here for you to ask questions, anything you want to ask. And I was afraid of him because he was an elder and, you know, a medicine man and yeah. you know, a scary guy. But I happened to be on the elevator and it opened up and he stepped on the elevator. It was just the two of us. So I said to him, you know, I think I might have a little bit of Indian blood when I'm really white how should I how should I deal with that what should I say and how should I act and he he looked at me and he said it don't matter and that was kind of the attitude that I that I found that people were very trusting and yeah and friendly and another little anecdote I could tell you is that I was sitting at a conference with a couple of native women and we were just chatting and two two white women came over and sat with us and they were, they were saying, Oh, 
the sunset was so beautiful and did you see the birds and the sky and we said oh nice you know then they wandered off and one of the native people turned to the other one another one and said so we were going to go to target right <laughs> i mean they're just they're just people yeah yeah you know? but but i hear in in a lot of what you're saying um you know i wonder if it's a, you know maybe just a conjecture on my part but that you're background as a social worker helps you build trust with people and, and helps you approach folks in a way, particularly folks from different, you know, or, or maybe similar backgrounds than you, but, um, you know, folks for whom, uh, you know, community and culture is different than yours currently, uh, but that ability as a social worker to connect with and build trust and genuinely listen to people uh, probably helped quite a bit in doing this research and, and building trust amongst these folks. No question about it. I think uh, my social work training was, was central to my worldview, definitely central to my worldview and central to knowing who I am as a person. Yeah. And in writing this book, I kind of pull it all together from my perspective because I, I managed to find out who I am and where I come from which I never knew, you know, when yeah. I was a kid, I never knew what I was. I, I never, we never talked about it. I always wanted to be Irish because my name is <laughs> Kathleen, but <laughs> never, I kind of wore a little bit of green on St. Patty's day, but you know, <laughs> but I yeah. think it's, I think it's great having you talk about your book. And I, I yeah. do, as you're talking about the work that you did in your research and how you even wrote the book, I can definitely see that social work connection and how that worldview and the ability to tell, like I said, amplify people's stories and to raise awareness about issues. That's completely, I think, easily seen yeah. that social work connection. And I do love that about your, your work and the book, how it is. And for our listeners, again, the, the book is titled an early history of the Wyoming Valley, the Yankee Pennamite war and Timothy Pickering. And the author is Dr. Kathleen Fox, who's been with us here today. And um, it's just been such a pleasure hearing your story. And it, it's, you know, a fascinating, rich and full life you've had so far. I mean, it really, hearing about your different twists and turns and following your passions and doing art and doing social work and education and research and community work uh, with native populations and just learning about New York State and Pennsylvania and your own personal history. It, it's just, there's so many fascinating threads there. And, and I hope listeners will check out your book and, and learn more certainly, because I think there's a lot to be a uh, lot to be gleaned from your experiences. And the book was uh, the book is under your maiden name, correct? Too, I know you're Kathleen Earl yes. Fox, but it's just yes. Kathleen Earl for those yes. who are searching for the book. I apologize <laughs> for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your your story. You have yeah. such a connection not only to the School of Social Welfare, your speedy PhD program. Uh, I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of our PhD students 
who are listening right now are like, oh, wow, maybe a new goal for me. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, thank your you very history much. to the university, your history to the Great Dane. It all ties in. And I am so thrilled to have you on our show. I was really, really excited to talk to you. Yeah. I know we've ta- I've talked to you back in January and I knew we wanted to wait until after the, the book came out and was published in right. April, but I have been really looking forward to this episode and I'm so happy to have you on today and for you to share this history and your connection yeah. to this university. And we hope you'll come visit the School of Social Welfare again. And, you know, we'd love to have our students hear from you. And, you know, maybe we could pull together an event and, and sort of have you talk about your experiences. Because I think, you know, beyond our listening audience, the current students, um, you know, may really enjoy uh, hearing about your experiences. And it would certainly be, be great to hear from such a distinguished alum. Oh, I'm already geez. trying to work on that. I'm trying to work on that already. <laughs> I have some emails out, so hopefully. Great, great. Well, again, as a social worker, I don't consider myself distinguished. I'm just a person. <laughs> Tries to do the best I can, like we all do. Well, it's funny, you know, we te- you know, in teaching social work students, I think social work students sometimes think that all they will do in their careers is social work. And, and you know, they, they don't always get a sense of the breadth of that, what social mm-hmm. work can be. But also, you know, what are the other things they might do in their careers sort of external to social work? And you've, you've really uh, shown as an example here all the different things that someone can achieve both within social work and then external to social work, but related to it. So um, I think it would be great to show students that and just demonstrate the breadth of experience. I would love to come down, especially if there's some kind of game I can go to so I can see the Great Danes. <laughs> Alyssa will help with that. Yeah. I'm working okay. on it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But thank you so much, Kathleen. All right. So you've been listening to the social workers here on WCDB Albany, and we've been interviewing Dr. Kathleen Earle about her recent book. And um, on the Haudenosaunee, Iroquois native population here in New York and Pennsylvania. And it's just been a wonderful conversation. Thanks for listening to WCDB Albany.